one some, zero. Uh, we got some Canadian representation here. We got uh... <laughs> <laughs> y'all. This is a one or two way too flow. <laughs> yeah, what up, what up? This is Barry Flow. My name is James, and I'm here with Alex Bass of Cyberbytes Inc. <laughs> What's going on, man? Pretty good. Throwing me off here. Yeah, try to liven things up for our Canadian representation, Brandon. How you doing? How's it going, guys? I guess you're half of that that Canadian equation for us, Brandon, because we also got Blaze over there. CB Blaze from Crackberry. How you doing, man? Can't complain, man. Never can. <laughs> I want to start off our kind of week in Blackberry. Just a couple things to talk about, really. Um, I want to start off on some of the negative stuff, like talking about this anonymous AT&T exec in a CNET article claiming priv sales are, are really struggling. Alex, how, how does that make you feel as a AT&T priv owner? I just kind of feel like um, just going to the stores and knowing how they are with it, you can't... Well, I, the price didn't help, obviously, but it's not like AT&T is really pushing this phone, and a few people have brought up as well that they really don't... There's no other phone that carriers and, and these bloggers go out of their way to say about like how bad sales are or how many returns there are, but every single BlackBerry phone, this happens. So it's kind of like there are people out there just to try and troll on BlackBerry, and especially seeing as they're not as much a hardware company as they, they were in the past, so it is even more frustrating at this point that there are some companies that are fully hardware-based, and they're not getting this kind of like negative press, but it's just people like to do it, so um, it's a little bit frustrating, but I don't know. Does it worry you that you're not going to get your Marshmallow update because of AT&T? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they. Uh, it seems they, they really don't care much. It's, okay, so if this article comes out and they're talking about how the rep is saying that it's not selling very well and there's a lot of returns, they're probably really not overly focused on pushing out the updates, and I don't know how much control they have to, to you know, back it it off from pushing it out, but um, I'm sure it's not helping the scenario. Like, if, if the phones were selling well and a lot of people had them, I'm sure they would maybe put more effort into pushing it through. Um, but I can actually see from their standpoint why they wouldn't make it as big of a deal to push it through, seeing as... I don't think you have to worry about not getting marshmallow. Well, I don't think I'm not going to get it. It's just, it's just a little bit questionable, but... Yeah. Still, I'm like, not expecting. If, I get, if I'm getting it like six months later and Android yeah, just is already bad. beta, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, I wanted to hear Blaze's take on this. Like, in terms of just that kind of media presence for Priv at this point, do you really think it moves the needle either way? I found it kind of interesting the choice and reasoning behind why that device wasn't selling. They basically said a lot of the BB10 loyalists were kind of like rejecting it. Like it wasn't an experience they were keen on buying, which I thought was a real, really interesting reason to say priv sales were low. Um, I, I can imagine there's other reasons, like you know maybe like performance or you know something else that's more user impacting. But do you think a lot of people from BB10 picked this device up and actually just put it back because it you know wasn't up to par with what they had? No, no, I don't think it it was entirely too many people. However, I'm not discounting that either because of the fact that, like, we see it in the Crackberry forums. People who tried Priv and have essentially, uh, you know, returned back to whatever their BlackBerry 10 device is. Um, I don't think I don't think it was like any huge, massive number. Like, you can't pinpoint that as one of uh, one of the main problems or anything along those lines. But certainly among one of the the problems that maybe Priv has, along with the price and 
um, you know, even when I posted it, I said I, I wouldn't buy. Like, if I if I picked up an AT&T device, I would return it as well because why? You could find out if you were if you picked up an AT&T device and found out that you could go ahead and get better support elsewhere within the next within That's the 30-day period, right? Wouldn't you return it as well? Everybody was like, well, no, you're making excuses now. Well, no, it's not necessarily an excuse. It's it's a plausible additional reason as to why people would be returning their devices back to AT&T in addition to, you know, those who have picked it up and essentially returned back to their BlackBerry 10 devices because they they didn't find the experience enjoyable or, or whatever. You know, my, my reasoning was as plausible as what his reasonings were or their reasoning, since we don't know whether or not it was a guy or a girl. Um, we just know that they were anonymous executives. But, um, you know, it, it, I think there's lots of reasons in which they could be seeing that, but to pinpoint those exact ones, I don't know. I don't know if that was entirely, you know, the complete reasoning. There's other reasons at play as to why people would return it as well. You can't just pick out one and two or three reasons and say, yeah, this is why, right? Yeah, and I think there's a lot more people than people, or a lot more people doing this than the average person thinks. They'll actually go and get a phone from a carrier, and they will demo it for you know 13 days, and they'll return it, and they'll do that with like numerous phones. Yeah. I feel like it's too much work, just just setting up a phone, getting to that point to be a daily device, and then go and return it. I feel like it's a pain, but there's actually a lot of people that do it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. At that point, you're making a, a, a huge investment into yeah, something, you know? that's true. You want to go ahead and take it out for a spin. That's why they had the trial runs on there, so. Yeah. And, then and even again, so I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily making, you know, an excuse for Blackberries. Like I said, I do believe it's a very plausible reasoning as to why someone would return it. They didn't yeah. get their marshmallow update, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's not one day that goes by that I don't wish. Like right now, if I could, if I could trade this phone back in AT and T and just go and buy it from BlackBerry, the, the problem is AT and T gave me like a two hundred dollar credit because the, I switched over companies. So if that wasn't on the table right now, then absolutely I, I I would immediately return this and go buy it from BlackBerry directly. And there's actually some good deals like on Newegg, you can get it for three hundred and sixty bucks right now. And it's so tempting to want to just like sell this phone to then buy it from from Newegg, but it's an AT and T variant of the phone, so like, I guess I don't know. It's I don't know. <laughs> yeah, despite the deals out there, you know, it is kind of tough. And when it when one of their carrier partners is going out of their way to answer a question like that, it really makes you wonder what the relationship is. Like. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, between... it's, it's also one of those things where it's like maybe there's a bunch of people like this just. Off the, off like just off the head thinking here. Maybe there's a bunch of people who are really happy with BlackBerry 10, and they they just assume that the Priv would be like a slider version of a BlackBerry 10. And then when they got it, they realized it was Android, and they're like, oh well, like I really like how my BlackBerry 10 functions, so maybe I'll go back to that or go back to what was working for me before, right? And in his comments, he says that a lot of the people who picked up the the device were BlackBerry loyalists. So I, I wouldn't find that surprising if there's a bunch of people. I mean, even you, James, you've gone back to your passport because you had some growing pains there. There, there. It seems like there's some growing pains with the Priv hardware um, in terms of their overall 
kind of offering there. So, I mean, it, it might not all be like a, a... I mean, it's never good when you hear stories like that from an exact at, exact at AT&T, but at the same time, maybe there's there's something behind it rather than just overall, you know, people not liking the device. Maybe it's just people were... It wasn't what people were expecting. And, and at the same point, the way the PRIB performs, it's like you can almost expect it, especially the AT&T hardware that's been floating around there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird because, you know, this is a carrier they had the exclusive deal with. I mean, they went on Good Morning America with a bunch of AT&T PRIBs and gave them out. It's like it's they, there was a little bit of a push, you know, at the very, very beginning or even like pre-full rollout of the PRIB. But it's just kind of an interesting place for them now to be hearing those types of claims because, again, nothing's substantiated. I guess for me, at the, at the end of the day, I don't really care what the reasoning was for. Like, we, we could pile upon reasons upon reasons. I just want to know, you know, is this the reality of the situation? Like, are they really not selling in great numbers? Are they being returned back to AT&T and... You know, that's something that's going to hopefully be answered in, in the longer term. You're not going to instantly know that because John Chen is a little bit shady when it comes to numbers, but, you know. Which I know a lot of people were kind of commenting that maybe they got a device and the the sliding mechanism wasn't up to snuff or, like, the back felt like it indented a little bit. And I've heard some people, they return the device four or five times to try and get that, yeah. you know, perfect one. So, like, you might see record return numbers, but if you're getting the device right back, that doesn't really count as a return. I mean, it's a return, but it's, like, a replacement. Like, yeah, maybe that... It's a replacement. Yeah. yeah. For, for business, though, that can't feel good on the carrier side. You know? No, no. That's oh, never no. good on the carrier side. But, I mean, I don't know. I, at this point, I kind of have to... It, all evidence points to the, you know, it not exactly selling well because, like uh, like Alex said, you see AT&T devices starting appearing on third-party retailers for dirt cheap. That basically yeah. means that somebody ditched their hardware, right? Either BlackBerry, BlackBerry built too many of them and AT&T doesn't want them now, or AT&T took on too many of them and can't sell them, and, you know, they're, they're pushing them out to third-party retailers for cheaper. So, you know, all evidence points that the anonymous executive is probably not exactly speaking out of his arse. There's some truth there, so. Yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, when I first saw people getting the priv and stuff like that, it, it, at least from my own kind of observations, I found that there was more people who who weren't like BlackBerry fans who picked up the Passport because it was something different and something, you know, brand new. And so people, I found, I, based on my observations, more people picked up that phone than the Priv where, I mean, like, I, I haven't seen, I've, I've, I can count maybe on one hand the amount of times I've seen a, pre, seen a Priv in the wild, in Toronto of all places too. So, I mean, you saw more pros before the device was released than you have posted. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it, it's not like I didn't see. I haven't seen all that many passports to be honest. But in this amount of time since a passport release, um, like the amount of time that the privs released, in that same amount of time after the passport released, I definitely did see a good number of passports. Like not not something crazy, but I I did run into them on a fairly you know, somewhat regular basis, a few a month or something like that. Whereas with the Priv, I, I literally have not seen more than five total. So I, I think I mean, just observation in, in all of this is yeah. 
all of it seems to be just coming back to the Blackbird, just not getting the word out. Like, if more people knew about the Passport or the Priv, they'd have a much better outcome for some of their devices because ultimately the hardware has gotten better and even kind of the experience. At least you have an app ecosystem that's full and complete with the Priv, whereas with BB10, you kind of got, like, two half solutions with the Amazon and BlackBerry world. It, and BlackBerry continues on all fronts, right? It looks like they upgraded some of the features for good, secure EMM suites as well which I thought was kind of an interesting piece there, especially as we kind of head toward this July 19th security summit that we're going to talk a little bit about later. But uh, did any of you guys happen to see the different enhancements that came on for this EMM platform? Going through some of the, the highlights, it's kind of interesting. It seems like they've kind of just turned inward, looked at better ways to kind of integrate the different pieces of their acquisitions. So they've got networks, crisis communication from ad hoc kind of built in under goods, secure EMM suites. So they kind of took all the BlackBerry stuff and put it on goods platform, and they already did that vice versa. So it kind of completes the transaction for the larger integration of that acquisition, which I thought is cool. It makes the good people already using good. It gives them more and more functionality, and it also kind of brings them in on what BlackBerry has to offer them now. So I think it could be good in a lot of ways. They got work life in there, which is like the Movertu side of things. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I assume we're going to hear more about some of this stuff as BlackBerry continues to talk about it. Do you guys happen to read through and see any of the benefits that were coming from there? I mean, like they're talking like lower total cost of ownership. And as well, like better stuff with like Samsung Knox and the different workspaces that they have employed there. You guys remember like a couple, maybe like a year ago now, where BlackBerry and Bez were out like just courting Google to the fullest, right? Getting all on Samsung on, through the Knox system and helping build with Google as well on some of the security implementations for the Android workspace. Seems like a lot of that stuff is really playing out for them now. I am yeah. hoping, hoping that we can see some money, you know, come through. Yeah, um, so I might be wrong. When I read through the press release, because I get on my on my phone whenever new press releases for BlackBerry come out, I, I got the uh, notion that it was basically just bringing good and all these other services they acquired under the fold of uh, Bez so that it wouldn't require different uh, a different kind of, I don't know, user interface to to kind of switch between different options that all the different services provided. So it's kind of consolidating it all into to one service package. Um, it, and so if that's the case, maybe if you, got, you guys can shed some light if I'm wrong on that, uh, because I'm not well-versed in some of these enterprise features. But if that's the case, I mean, it's always a good thing because anything that makes the user experience easier for for these admins like at these companies is always a positive sign. And, and a lot of these people who have to use the software uh, day in and day out, they, they do have a lot of say when it comes up to renewing and purchasing upgraded software because um, they can give their feedback. And if you know, uh, corporate is hearing a lot of negative feedback about you know, how clunky or how difficult it is to use some of these services, they may uh, look for alternatives. So it's a good step in the right direction. I think the the key takeaway for me was how quickly that they sort of basically integrated all of the stuff because they only brought in ad hoc and good not that long ago. So they can basically go ahead, put all that stuff together, offer it in a really nice package, and you know, don't really have to worry about you know having one one 
one group of people on one system and another group of people on another system. Um, you know, it just makes for um, cleanlier maintenance, I guess you can say, when it comes time to go ahead and upgrade them all. And that's essentially what, what they, they've basically done here is that they've rolled out a, a complete enterprise update. Like they're holding, holding a webinar and everything like that to be able to go ahead and walk everybody through, um, I guess, what it broke down to was the seven, seven essential updates that were coming to the platform and the unification of all of the systems. And, you know, they even brought in uh, updates for BBM protected. And so, so you know, it, it just basically puts together a nice compelling package for everybody to be able to go ahead and transition to rather than, you know, having bits and pieces of different solutions all over these organizations. They can, they can basically say, okay, well, we, we rolled everything into one package and now you can choose from whatever it is that you wish to be able to go ahead and proceed with, which, you know, when it comes down to it, it wouldn't, the, the simpler that you put things into a package, the more likely people are to um, go ahead and adopt it because you know it's it's ease of use at that point in time. Like I'm sure Alex would uh, would agree, the more uh, options that you have that are separated and you have to look really hard to be able to go ahead and figure out what is the best solution for you isn't always the best solution. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's basically you know what what is preferable? Do you want three packages? to choose from or do you want six packages to choose from, right? When you when you scale things down and condense them and put it in, put them into easier simplified packages, then you know it makes a more compelling sale at that point. Absolutely. I'm just waiting for Alex to start, you know, start selling Bez 12 or Bez 14 when it's all fully, fully integrated with one another. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because, as Blaze mentioned, it's kind of like a full stack upgrade of the platform. I found the interesting stuff to be relative to two aspects, right? They have the WatchDocs BlackBerry email protector, which helps businesses secure file attachments, adding in a lot of logging, tracking, a lot of DLP integration as well, which I thought was pretty cool. Having that as like its own kind of standalone service and platform, also integrating that functionality into Salesforce.com and Microsoft Office Online, which is again cool kind of additions for them to help monetize, you know, where the enterprises are. I thought that stuff was pretty interesting as well. Um, Blaze, what were some of the updates that we got in terms of like BBM protected? Are they in is it fully end to end now? I saw there was some talk of like BBM video chats being secure as well through the through the, the Bez platform, which yeah, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, they did a bunch of stuff with, uh, with the video, and they did a bunch of stuff with pictures. Let me just bring it back up here, because um, I forget the... When I was reading through it, it was like seven of the... out of a big, huge list, so... Uh, team messaging is part of that, but we already knew that, because it's essentially part of, you know, the last update that they had. Um... Basically, what it says is efficient and secure messaging system, BBM protected, automatically encrypts all data, both end-to-end -end and in-transit for BBM messages sent between iOS, Android, and BlackBerry devices. New additions to BBM protected include video communication protection and the ability to uh, securely forward uh, messages. Um, it also has uh, picture-saving controls, so the picture-saving controls allow IT administrators to control whether users can save photos shared within BBM Protected. Um, 
which is really good because obviously if you're sending you know data that could possibly leave the device at some point in time you don't necessarily want that like um, if I sent James an image uh, and you know I didn't want him to be able to go ahead and share that image and that's good because he can't um, he has no ability to be able to go ahead and, and save that photo when sent through BBM protected um, I guess the, the, the BBM protected video is probably the big, one of the larger things uh, added there Messaging forward, yeah. I um, they added that on the blog. Update, their business board have down. some like, yeah, they, on their business blog, they have a little bit about you know, some of the other additives that they have. I think your connection's kind of <laughs> your connection's starting to go, man. That awkward moment. Example. <laughs> oh, he's still going. A military manufacturing contractor could send video of a to repair centers. It's pretty cool stuff all overall. Did you guys get any of that on your end? <laughs> I just heard the military or something and then yeah. it... We got a little bit of it. Yeah. We were talking over each other for a bit. <laughs> you know, the usual stuff. The interesting thing, though, is that they, even though that they announced the, uh, the updates, or I don't think that they're necessarily live as of yet because wouldn't wouldn't the update have required an update to BBM as well? Generally speaking. I mean it should have. Yeah. This BBM video it says allows users to communicate securely via live video. For example, a military manufacturing contractor could send video of a malfunctioning machine to a repair center to expedite service and ensure the proper replacement parts are shipped. So I mean, I guess in terms of the enterprise space, in terms of some of these um, applications that they could use BBM protected video, uh, there certainly is a case for using it. It's just whether you know. Yeah, it's great that they're in that space. I'm not. I'm. I'm just not necessarily. Oh. I mean, it does add that extra layer of security, which is a pretty key component when you're working in some of these industries. So, so for what it's worth, it's it's probably something that's a bit better than if they were using a less secure option. So it's essentially providing that that extra layer of communication uh, just to, to go hand in hand with some other um, enterprise services. So what you're saying, Brandon, is that you don't have to worry about the police intercepting your PPM protected messages? <laughs> well, that's a different story, right? <laughs> so... This story comes out of uh, the CBC. They got some tips from insiders saying that uh, over the past years, at its height, there's about 15 people that worked internally at BlackBerry to work with authorities and uh, track down and quote to kick some ass <laughs> for the uh, for the authorities. Um, what do you guys think about this? What do you think this does for? BlackBerry's credibility and, and how people perceive BlackBerry in terms of being that secure option. I know there's a lot of people who, who assume because they have BlackBerry that's super secure and that no one's going to be able to see their messages. But as we've seen um, from this news story, there's actually quite a few cases where BlackBerry has actually gone in and, and viewed people's BBM messages and actually got them um, arrested for it. 
I don't know, man. I, I think there's, like, when it comes down to it, there's two people, two sides of the equation that people can essentially adopt. They can look at it as, like, an invasion of privacy because, you know, BlackBerry and the authorities have that essential access, um, and there's possibility for, you know, um, abusing that access. And then there's the other side, which is, you know, people believe that, they should have that sort of access. Why shouldn't you, you know, want to stop criminals in their criminal activity? And why shouldn't the police have this sort of access and everything like that? Um, I guess it just really depends on, on, you know, what side of that equation you actually come up with. And you know, this isn't this isn't necessarily a, a new conversation. This, unfortunately keeps being brought up in the media all the time and time again because it just seems like it's a, it's a it's a thing to harp on Blackberry about but you know do you it, think that other organizations also don't have their their compliance yeah. with the law <laughs> it's it's funny because I was I was listening to some lawyers speak at uh, a couple of weeks ago and they said that uh, one of the issues they find in the justice system and in, in in general what's going on now with all these privacy concerns is that a lot of people forget to look at the bigger picture when it comes to certain issues. So they, they and often what that means is that a lot of people say you're either on one side of the line or on the other side of the line. There's no ability to be flexible when people don't look at the bigger picture. So I think this this example of BlackBerry is actually a perfect example of a company that's able to be flexible where, you know, as a rule of thumb, they don't necessarily provide that information whenever they're asked. It requires uh, a bit more legwork on the people asking to get that information to come out of BlackBerry. So they need to have the proper channels to go through. They have to get proper legal kind of evidence and things like that to to send this data off. So I think there's there's room in especially now with su such a prevalence and and all these um, all these things going on around the world that there I think. Companies, tech companies, certainly do have a responsibility to assist when it's warranted to uh, to help track these, you know, these malevolent people. Um, however, it's a fine line that you have to play, and and sometimes that requires being flexible and not necessarily just saying as a rule of thumb we're never going to do it, and not saying as a rule of thumb we're always going to do it. What do you think about that? Does it make BlackBerry judge and jury? Is the question right? Yeah, um, and I think that's one of the interesting takes on it because each tech company almost has to make their own agenda for what privacy and security is going to mean for them and as well to their end users. It's really an interesting place. Uh, Alex, I know Blaze already mentioned. You know, this is this is news that's like being rehashed. It, it comes up every year, almost like a bad uh, like a bad smell or something. Mm -hmm. Do you think this kind of news really changes the overall kind of perspective people have on things like BBM? I mean. BBM is already one of those like blase messaging platforms to a lot of people's eyes. So, do you think it has any real impact, or is it is I guess the question bad press better than no press in this I mean, instance? I, I kind of feel that anyone who's going to be using BBM is using it now, and it's probably it's not like in a big growth cycle or anything anyway. So, if if all of this comes up, I don't I don't envision I don't know like my mom or my aunt or my brother to like stop using BBM now. 
because I mean there are like some of the alternatives are companies that are maybe smaller and they might not be very secure at all. So they don't guess they don't have to deal with maybe dealing directly with the government, but they might not have your data as secure as BlackBerry. I'd assume they probably don't have it as secure. But then there's always WhatsApp and they have the end end encryption. I don't know. I, I I guess it's really in my eyes, I don't think it's really affecting much. I think it's something people like to bring up, talk about. Um, it's almost like um, I don't know, people just like drama sometimes and they like to discuss these things. And it is important, it is very important, but I think we're in a weird spot right now to figure out what is right. We do need, there needs to be some line, um, we just need to figure that out. Yeah. So it's it's like a trust issue, right? So with, with like, a, what messaging platform are you going to, Alex? What was it called? Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you okay with the level of... Uh, you know, connection that Google and its databases well, that, and servers that's, that's are going to have into thing. your conversations? Yeah, I mean, so I'm willing to give it a try. I know the biggest thing with that is, is it's impossible for it to be un unencrypted if you have Google in there with you. But if you make it un unencrypted, then you lose all of the ability that you get with the Google Assistant. So it's a trade-off of privacy for convenience. And, and in security, we always have that problem. I mean, I, I do a lot of IT work for companies and I try and make them secure with passwords so it's like set up last pass remember this password like one password like Betsy secretary remember this one password please and she doesn't remember it so it's like <laughs> I re resort to just leaving it default logged into LastPass, so anyone can sit down at that computer and have full access to like all of these passwords and logins so now the weakest link is if you're inside of the facility you have full access because alternatively you call me up every five minutes and ask me what your password is for something so there's always the struggle between convenience and security and I think you know at least Allo is going to have like a direct um, an unencrypted scenario if you go incognito. Most people probably aren't going to use it. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to give it a try because I just like technology and I find it interesting. Um, I know there's some more security-minded people who won't even want to have the damn thing on their phone. They're like, no. Like, if, if it can't be unencrypted, don't Alex, want it. If it happens, Alex, and we get iMessage on Android, yeah. would you use it? Um, unfortunately, I probably... I'll, I'd have it. I don't know if that would be... Okay, I, I actually just changed Messenger, like Facebook Messenger, to be me, my default SMS app because I kind of, you know, no different than like back in the good old days when BBM, we can also SMS people in there. So it's it's not like a fallback to SMS, but it's it's nice because I go to one program, I can SMS or I can Facebook message people. So I I would probably be willing to do that just because I have a lot of friends on iPhones and... Um, it would be nice to just not have to deal with the, the, the messes that happen in these group chats dealing with MMS that don't work very well. So I think I, I, think I would, uh, honestly. Obviously, I'd be using BBM with you guys and, and various other things and maybe give Allo a shot when, when it comes out. But I'm okay with having five different apps playing around with. Um, <laughs> the majority of them will probably be iMessage at that point. I, I wouldn't be surprised. What about you, Blaze, Brandon? Would you guys? It's going to be like a really weird world where people are si sideloading iMessage onto their BB phones, <laughs> or worse, installing it via Google Play on their Android-powered BlackBerry Priv. <laughs> I, I, whenever uh, and BlackBerry would promote it too, like on their blog. Like, look, guys, <laughs> look what we can do now. Yeah, I'm in a weird scenario because I don't, 
I don't get many messages from people who are using other systems. Like, nobody has ever come to me and said, like, dude, did you get my message? And I'm like, no. Because the majority of the people that I communicate with know that I'm either going to be on BBM, I'm going to be on Slack, I'm going to be on Hangouts, or you can hit me up on text messaging. So, like, moving to another system doesn't really affect me and it doesn't affect the people that I generally communicate with, you know, on a regular basis anyways, because they all know where to find me. I need better friends then, or they don't care much about me because, like, they're like, no, no we're doing SMS group, and if you don't, if you don't hang out with us, then if you if you don't want that on your phone, you're not going to hang out with us because you're not going to hear where we're going and stuff. Well, that's a, it's that's, my problem at that. That's point. part of the thing too, is because everybody lives in their own world, right? Yeah. And you know, you're either in that world or you're not in that world, and that's the thing. Like, but. I don't, I don't really have that problem because the majority of the people that I communicate with all know where to find me, and, you know, I don't generally change that much. Maybe email and blaze, yo, where you at? <laughs> yeah, like, worst-case scenario, they're, and honestly, this is the worst-case scenario. They're going to send me a, a regular, basic old text message, and I'll get the message, and I'll reply back to it. So. Blaze is getting letters in the mail. <laughs> where are you at, my, my crow? <laughs> or is that what? No, pigeon. Sorry, my crow. So there was a, a little bit of chatter, and something. The reason uh, this episode was called Clusters for 103 is that there was almost a cluster of news for every aspect of BlackBerry, right? Software got some news, BBM got some negative news, uh, the hardware got some news, the AT&T bit, and as well, QNX is kind of touting some of its own laurels at the Detroit Auto Show, some pretty cool stuff. Really just more market prevalence, 50 million cars are using their acoustics implementation, which I thought was pretty cool. And as well, really, you know, talking about building out a full platform for instrument cr clusters and vehicles. So now an even more robust platform for automotive OEMs to start building into. Good that QNX is still kind of out there doing footwork, showing their market presence. I think that's something that's pretty good. You guys think there's really going to be a way for them to continue to capitalize on QNX as the kind of connected car you know, segment really starts to grow. Brandon, I'd be interested to hear some of your thoughts on this in terms of, like, yeah. the autonomous vehicles and things like that. Like, it, you know, there, there's really a big toss-up in the market between whether going like Lennox or going QNX in the car. Do you think yeah. QNX has, like, the lasting power to really make it in the market? Yeah, well, so, for instance, the thing they just released earlier this week was a platform for cluster instruments. And basically, that's essentially those instruments that you see in front of your steering wheel when you're driving. And why this is important, especially now in the interim between, you know, regular conventional cars and then connected vehicles and then eventually autonomous vehicles, is that <clears throat> there's really no kind of platform for, you know, directional apps like uh, map apps and things like that to give you directions on your cluster feed in front of you. So that what QNATS is doing is providing a platform just like BlackBerry provides an operating system and a platform for people to develop apps and plug into different APIs and, and different functionalities of the vehicle, I mean of the, of the telephone or the mobile device, but what, oh, what QNX is doing is allowing developers and companies to plug in certain aspects of the car, different pieces of the car, and provide that information up front in the cluster. So whether it be uh, direction info from maps or song information from 
you know, a music app or or even like text messages popping up and things like that. It's basically providing the platform for all those different uh, pieces to link up and be able to be displayed in the cluster space. And it's kind of important because there are certain regulations around how that space can can be used and safely and things like that. So it I, I do see them being able to carve out uh, more of a business in that space in the coming years because uh, there's I, I especially I do think there's a lot of opportunities for them to work with other um, what's it called software companies. So for instance, I I can see maybe in the future them working with Google and Apple to kind of like what they do already with QNX is provide that underlying uh, platform for those other systems to just kind of connect to so that Apple and Google don't have to like reinvent the wheel and develop it all over, they can just piggyback onto QNX. So I do think it's it's got some legs to it in the future. Yeah, at I.O. this year, they showed off a Maserati, and QNX had literally more recently shown off a Maserati in their connected car concept, and in it, it showed Android, you know, the Android Auto controlling things like the AC and other aspects of the vehicle, but it still had to lie on top of QNX's base platform. So more stuff on the Android Auto side, right, more stuff being controlled per the phone, but still having that kind of backbone, that secure backbone, that mission-critical backbone in QNX is pretty valuable. Okay. Alex, do you think there could be more of a market play here for them as connected cars grow? Like mine right now, my vehicle's a 2016 Volkswagen, and it has a, a small instrument cluster, and in it I can go through, um, you know, speed, gas mileage, all things that are prevalent to what I'm doing right now and kind of customize it to what I want to do. I guess, Brandon, what you were saying earlier is there's going to be a lot of compliance stuff here, so I won't be able to play Tetris in my instrument cluster or anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would kind of be dope, actually. Alex, would, would, no. what kind of, do you find the connected automobile something that interests you, or are you some, a guy who just wants to, like, you know, put his phone on a stand and use your phone? I, I, I have been doing that, and I feel like it's... It does work exceptionally well compared to a lot of the infotainment systems in cars nowadays. Um, I mean, the thing is, there's no way they're going to be spending, like, I guess, raw, what is this worth, $800 or $700? They're not going to be doing putting that amount of money into a screen with an upgrade. Um, so your phone probably is more powerful than a lot of the stuff that's kind of in the car. Yes, I can't necessarily have it directly in front of me. I have to have it a little bit to the right. But um, I, I've just... I'm of the mind that I I view a car as more of just a utility to get me from point A to point B. I've never, I mean, there was a point in time where I was kind of really into cars to an extent, but now it's just like I need to get somewhere. I want to be reliable, and that's all I really care about. So I'm really just waiting for, you know, autonomous driving to just be everywhere. And at that point, absolutely, it would be great to have, like, a lot of data and functionality in a connected car at that point to be able to do things to keep you busy, but regardless, we have the phone in our pocket, so that and that's always going to have us connected. So, like, yes, I think it's important, um, and I think it's going to become increasingly important. But for me personally, it's not something that I'm going too crazy about. Um, I don't know. Well, there's also safety features. I mean, yesterday I was in a car and in an Uber. And the driver, every time he would make uh, turn his signal on, the uh, the screen where the radio information stuff would just turn to a camera that was on the side of the car, so that he could see his blind spot. 
and yeah. see if there's any cyclists and stuff like that. So I mean, stuff like that could show up in the like take a little piece and show up in the uh, the cluster instruments, you know. But so that's the part that I kind of find interesting because like yes, for humans, like for people driving, absolutely that's useful. But yeah, I was, but I was watching vehicles. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was watching at um it there was just the the code conference and and the uh, owner of Tesla was there who was speaking. And he had mentioned, people asked him, like, when will we have autonomous cars? Like, how many years? And then even with regulatory things going on, how many years do you realistically think until we have legitimate autonomous cars on the road that people are using? And he said two years, and then he said three years with the regulatory things. And that's like, holy crap, three years is a lot sooner than I think a lot of people are expecting, like, with the regulatory BS that's going to be happening. So in my mind, it goes like, there's going to be an in-between transition stage, and maybe eight years from now we'll start seeing like it. Uh, you know, I can maybe see go outside and start seeing them on the road. Three years, we'll probably see it in like San Francisco or like certain places, certain areas, Silicon Valley, where you'll start seeing them. But um, so there's going to be this in-between stage, and this is where this is really interesting. But in my mind, I'm thinking five, ten years from now, it's really an in-between stage, and it won't matter so much then. I'm sure it'll have its purpose. But autonomous driving, I just feel like, is so much closer than maybe the average person feels like it is. And maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I mean... Something to think about, Alex, is like the way that technology grows, right? If I can you know, make the market more saturated in smarter cars, things with instrument clusters and whatever, when a change like that can come, I can make it happen quicker because a bigger majority of the cars on the road are already kind of quote-unquote connected or yeah. smart, right? They've at least got the backbone and the machinery of a computer to be able to then interface with these other computers that are going to come by, as you mentioned, a lot quicker. Blaze, yeah. what about you, man? I, I think the last cluster you probably saw was in some cereal or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have a general interest in cars. I mean, I find that it's absolutely interesting, and outside of that, it's kind of like, eh, I don't have a car, so I kind of really don't care. Um, but I do find that there's a lot of room for innovation within that area because, I mean, when when I was in Winnipeg and spending some time with Kevin there um, at our Winnipeg office, I got to get to see, like, his Tesla dashboard and everything like that, which obviously everybody knows has massive, massive display in it. And, you know, um, even as, as expensive and as nice of a car as what that is, the dashboard does still suffer from some lagging and, you know, general issues with, you know, basically kind of navigating the system. So there's always room. It does seem as though it, even on the high end of the spectrum that there's room for BlackBerry to be able to go ahead or Tunix um, to be able to go ahead and innovate within that actual area. I mean, there's there it, at this point it's pretty obvious that they've, they've successfully become the underpinnings of a lot of systems that are on the road already. I mean, you know, you, we, we've all seen the numbers, 40 million, 50 million, 60 million. I mean, there's got to be some some uh, uh, potential there for them to go ahead and turn some profit on it and, and create some innovation within the market. So, I don't know. It, it I consider Cunix one of those things where you kind of have to pay attention to it. You kind of have to basically just watch it grow and see where it takes us because... Um, you know, everything that they're doing isn't going to be definitively laid out within the next, you know, six months, year, or anything like that. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a growth opportunity. It's a growth um, building operation for BlackBerry as a whole, and 
that's that's pretty much just where I stand on it. It's it's all really yeah, they're, interesting, they're but but like I said, nothing nothing is going to be you know there's not going to be like some huge press announcement when you wake up in the morning where BlackBerry overtook like a hundred million cars and are now the only system considered for like car manufacturers. Like we're not going to reach that point within the next six months or anything like that. So <laughs> sit back, wait, and see how it rolls out, right? A little, uh, just a little context for everybody to kind of understand just how much coding is going into cars these days. Uh, Google's test autonomous vehicle car has like double the amount of code as the F-35 fighter jet. Um, so that puts it into perspective. Like there's more code going into cars now and in the future uh, than the most sophisticated fighter jet that the military <laughs> uses. So I mean, yeah, it, no, I I guess it makes sense because there's so many more things it needs to look out for. Like a human can do so much that you don't have to account for. But like when when it's now a computer, something is common sense that like I don't know if there's a puppy in front of you in the street you're innately going to want to stop because you don't want to kill the puppy. But, like, a machine needs to have code to understand, well, is that a puppy or is that a bag? And, and can I run over this bag because it doesn't matter? Like, there's just so much to it. Yeah. And I guess I was going back to how much code was actually in the, um, oh, what was it, to go up to the moon, and it was, like, less than a calculator in yeah. terms of, and that always blows my mind. And I guess this really isn't any different in a way. Um, it's just everything's exponential as time goes on. Definitely some interesting stuff to come ahead here. I'm excited to see Q&X at least stay competitive in the market, right? Instrument clusters are the next thing. That's what automotive OEMs want to put in their vehicles. will help them out, right? Automatically responding to customer need and building those platforms is going to keep them, at least with the customers they already have, right? Customer retention is important for QNX too, especially with the bigger brands, right, that kind of drive where this market is going to go. Drive is kind of a, a little joke there. Let's talk about the Security You're Summit. So Blaze, I kind of want you to... Yeah, right. The Security Summit's kind of interesting. They're almost making, kind of hyping it, which is interesting, right? BlackBerry doesn't hype anything these days, not even their own devices. So here's my hype for an event. It means at least it's nice to see them excited about it, right? This is a uh, BlackBerry Security Summit returns all-star partners, connected cars, and more. So again, we were just talking about connected cars. This is something they want to showcase at their yearly Security Summit, this time happening July 19th at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in New York City. BlackBerry is going to have some representation there. We're going to have a live blog scheduled for the day of the event. Yeah, we're waiting to. We'll have a live blog. Plus, we're also just waiting to see if BlackBerry's. Um, you know, in previous previous years, they basically streamed the event as well. So. Waiting to see if they're actually going to stream it this year, uh, but other than that, I mean, we're going to have a live blog, of course, um, going through it. I mean, we're sending we're sending Daniel, and there's still the chance that I may go. I have some previous obligations that I I may personally not be able to attend it, but um, Daniel's definitely going to be there to uh, cover a lot of the stuff that comes up. And again, I still may end up going as well. Um, but yeah, definitely live blog. We'll wait and see if BlackBerry actually does a live stream of the event. Though you would think that with the announcement that they had the other day, they would have announced that um, live stream as well. But you know, in other 
either scenario, we know that there's going to be videos and stuff coming out of it as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they what they basically come up with this year because a lot of the previous years, I mean, you know, we saw the um, the um, IV pump hack previously. I, I expect a lot of QNX stuff this year as well. Um, they sim they they say that they're going to break it out into four sessions, which will focus on mobile strategy, security, and platforms, as well as our connected car platform. So it'll be interesting to see what actually comes out of there. Um, <clears throat> Would be cool to see them hack a car, right? Like yeah, take over I mean, and then show us like you know this is how we defend against this shit. That's kind of what I was thinking because um, previously they, there there hasn't necessarily during the security summit there hasn't necessarily been a lot of talk of Unix as a platform within that you know spectrum. So it kind of really does make me wonder why Unix is such a large focus at this point. Um, it make logically it makes sense because obviously if you're going to be dealing with um, connected cars, you do need the security there, which kind of makes me also wonder why it wasn't part of the spectrum previously, right? Um, but who knows? Maybe they'll hack a car, and like you say, maybe they'll show us this is how they actually stop these sort of things from happening. Um, the other, the other so thing... Talking I, yeah, go ahead, please. The other thing I'm kind of concerned about is that a lot of people seem pretty hyped for them to go ahead and, and, and announce you know, those two other Android devices here, or at least one of those Android devices. And I'm not uh, I'm not entirely too sure if you should be overly hyped for that. I mean, it does it does fit in, into the, you know, the rumored timeline of the announcement of those devices, or at least one of those devices, but I'm not sure if the BlackBerry Security Summit is the place to do it or not. We'll, we'll basically have to wait and see. But No, but, you know, at least it's a stage, and do you really think right. that they're going to have their own conference or event going on for you know mid tier devices. They, they, they almost historically announce an acquisition, right? So if the acquisition trend is stopping, now maybe it's uh, a presentation because their first breakout session is on mobile mobile strategy. So showing off a smartphone and then talking about mobile strategy, even if it's cross platform multi OS, is mm -hmm. potentially a good activator there. You know, I'm I'm with Blaze. I'm I have no inclination to think that they're going yeah. to be launching any hardware. Maybe talk about it and set up some timetables for more. But you guys remember a couple quarters back where John Chen's like, we have a roadmap, we're going to introduce it when we're ready. I still haven't yeah. seen anything yet. So I wonder hmm. if this is a time to maybe not talk about the specific devices, but at least lay out a roadmap for what you guys are planning ahead. Especially now that some of the integration's done, they've kind of closed the holes, and now they can really look ahead to what's next. Uh, regardless, it's an interesting event. I do hope it's live-streamed because it's going to be enjoyable for people. Another interesting piece here is they're announcing their partners ahead of time that are going to be there, which I thought was pretty interesting. And really, they've got a kind of range of different people from people doing smart offices to networking to Internet security standards. So some really interesting kind of grouping here that are going to participate alongside. So... You know, for us, right, as consumers, you know, we're not necessarily a Fortune 1000, a CIO, or an IT manager, but hopefully from a fan perspective, we'll still be able to appreciate the growth strides BlackBerry is making on some of those aspects. Mm. And again, that is July 19th over in New York City. It's another thing, too, like, to do a live stream, you need good internet connection. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to, hard to come in until you get to the Grand Hyatt and be like, all right, is the internet going to work? Can we set up a system here that's going to actually work through, you know, the marble or whatever else may be there? 
in terms of the infrastructure. Our last little bit of news to cover is really going to be this uh, earnings report that's coming around for us. BlackBerry yes. is closing Q1 of 2017 on June 23rd. Now, that means we'll be doing it upstream literally three days after the earnings, so we'll have some time to have it marinate for us before we talk about it. So that'll be good. I, I have a question um, about that. Um, there was, I want to say, a day ago or Friday or something, the stock crashed down about 5%, yeah. and I was trying to look the at what was going stock, on. The whole no, stock yeah. market did, though. Yeah, but, you know, BlackBerry... I think it went down more than the rest, like a 5% drop, and I was trying to look at what was going on, and a few people mentioned it. This may have been total BS. I kind of stopped looking, but they were saying, oh, some of the earnings got leaked or something or other, and I didn't hear anything of that. But It was probably the AT&T Priv struggle article. I was thinking yeah. that, but it was two days prior. Like, that was two days prior, and it's like, what, did it take two days for that news to hit to actually affect something, or people in, are just like... In, oh. my, in my opinion, it's just that it's a volatile stock, so when the stock is going down, uh, people are especially antsy with that stock. So yeah. if the stock market goes down any bit, uh, you're obviously going to see higher amount of people selling a more volatile stock just in case things really go south. Yeah. That way they're out earlier rather than later, right? Mm -hmm. So in my experience, I'm not, I'm not like by any means a professional or an expert in this, but based on my experience with the stock market, that's what I've seen. And Brandon is not say. handing out stock advice yeah. right now. Please do not follow my advice. I'm just trying to speculate. In terms of the earnings report, me personally, as a as a former investor, oh. looking at it, I would uh, I'd be kind of worried about. Uh, not I'm not worried about the the like the the bread and butter of BlackBerry. I'm not worried about their their enterprise solutions and things like that, and their software side of things and QNX. Um, I'm not worried about that aspect. I just I know the priv sales are going to probably be disappointing. And, yeah. And but isn't that not the main plan for BlackBerry yeah, anyway, though? But, well, I mean, it depends on how the street takes it. I mean, the street is expecting low numbers, but BlackBerry being BlackBerry, you know, underwhelms those even. Uh, that's going to be bad because right now, based off of last quarter's numbers, expectations are going to be low for hardware sales. If they sales. can't even sell 600,000 phones in this interim, yeah. like... So, yeah. I mean, if they don't meet expectations for hardware sales, it's going to be... I think there's going to be a big... Not big sell-off, but I think there's going to be quite a few... There's not much lower BlackBerry can go right now. They're, they're not the beauty, valued very much. The beauty much of it, moment. I think, is as people are just starting to understand, and I think it's going to be a slow process, but people are starting to understand how marginalized BlackBerry's kind of become, and especially with the move to Android, right? It's a yeah. small b business, it's a yeah. lean business, and if they can make it profitable, even selling, you know, half a million phones a quarter, you know, that if it's a business that's making money for them, why not continue it? I think it's getting yeah. it to that point and having the market acknowledge BlackBerry doesn't sell a lot of phones, but yeah. they're making money. And I think yeah. that's really what, what the investors need to start seeing as well for the bid yeah. for that hardware no, business. I, and and they just haven't made that link there. They haven't made that link about, you know, really what their margins are on these devices and, you know, really how that contribute contributes to the bottom line. Like they haven't really explicitly said whether they're selling devices as a means to have that all in one solution like you've talked about before, James to give that all-in-one uh, business and security solution from end-to-end, -end, or whether it's a play at actually just because it's profitable, they might as well just keep doing it, right? And I think that's something that they kind of have to 
kind of expand on going forward, especially if they're going to be pumping out sub sub one million devices per quarter. Yeah, and you know, James, I think you bring up a good point. Like BlackBerry is a business. Uh, the same discussion we had last week is Slack worth more than BlackBerry, and it's like on paper, BlackBerry is making much more each year. Um, and I think we're just living in this bubble at the moment where all of these companies are valued at so much money and they're not making money. They're not a business. Like, they're a business, but they're not a business in the sense of actually making money. So if BlackBerry were to crash and burn this earnings call, for instance, it's nowhere near what one of these unicorns can crash and burn because you have a unicorn valued at $4 billion and they're not making any money each year. So for the, something big Alex. to happen to them... You know, Alex, it, it can happen to any company. Man. It can happen to every any company, but like, look realistically, you know, BlackBerry—they're making money each year, and that and I mean, they're like they're, four years ago the stock price was at one hundred and fifty dollars, and now it's sub ten dollars. And yes, then, but like, and we've been in this environment with BlackBerry right? for a while now. They're yeah. like, it's it's it keeps hitting. We every time before earnings, it's always sitting at seven bucks. It's just what happens yeah. <laughs> for the last like, two years. Like seven bucks and like ten or eleven dollars, yeah. like twelve at a high. Yeah, it seems to just go between that. Yeah. So I mean, don't be we'll surprised see. if it goes down to seven after earnings and then goes back well, it's up. What's seven right now? <laughs> there you yeah, so we have that to look forward to on June twenty third. That'll be the quarter one of twenty seventeen earnings results. Interested to see if John Chen's going to go to segmented reporting on this earnings call. As he mentioned last earnings call, they were headed toward that. I'd really like to see the breakdown of where the revenue is coming from across. Again, for a unicorn, for a startup, for any company to go from a massive position in hardware and yeah. be able to create $500 million in software revenues within a year's time, even with an M&A strategy, I mean, that's pretty ballsy of a, of, a, of a shift in transition for BlackBerry. So we're going to see how this kind of plays out. Clearly, the focus has been building growth elsewhere. So 600000 for me is kind of like, well, duh, they're not focusing on that stuff. Yeah. No, I, wa I want to talk about this, I think, in the after show because, like, exactly what BlackBerry felt happened with hardware, I think that's starting to happen to Apple, and that may be why we see iMessage come over. But that's something we can talk about after because it might be an interesting thing. Definitely. Our after shows in this show are you know, obviously sponsored by our listeners out there. We migrated to SoundCloud. Everything's looking good. Um, it took some time for some of the podcast solutions to be searching for the new RSS, but we've auto-redirected it every which way we can. Uh, so iTunes, Podbean, Pocket Cast, uh, B-Pod is a great solution for BlackBerry 10. Check it out. It is very full up. You can subscribe. The new SoundCloud stuff is working awesome. The analytics are great to have. Now we understand a little bit more where the user base is coming from, so that's pretty cool. Um, and we're going to catch you guys on Father's Day, which is going to be the 19th on our next episode. Um, our after show coming, we're going to talk about Obama ditching his BlackBerry and a little bit about iMessage potentially coming to Android. Peace, guys. Say goodbye. Later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>